Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, the legend of the night hag and her ties to sleep paralysis is one that dates back centuries and spans across nearly every culture in history. One recent chilling example happened in the city of Kent, Ohio, a city where several of its historic locations are in fact haunted by the ghosts of their past. This episode features a special guest, Lindsay Brisbane from The Chilling Podcast. This is episode number 76 of Hometown Ghost Stories, The Night Hag and the Ghosts of Kent, Ohio. Ohio, 1995. Sarah slammed shut the worn cover of the old book, causing it to exhale a light plume of dust from its worn pages. She hadn't slept in days and was terrified at the thought of going back to her house, to that bedroom where if by some miracle she was able to drift off to sleep, she was certain she'd meet that horrible hag who haunted her dreams. Shams al-Ma'arif was an interesting book, but it hadn't been any help to her, just a bunch of esoteric ramblings from an ancient mathematician. She replaced the book on its shelf and pulled down the one next to it, The Cultural History of Sleep Paralysis. She thought that sounded like it might help with the problem she'd been having. She sat at the library table, reading for what seemed like an hour or so, when she came across something that shook her to her core. In contemporary Western culture, the phenomenon of supernatural assault are thought to be the work of what are known as shadow people. Victims report primarily three different entities, a hooded figure, a man with a hat, and the old hag. The old hag, she said aloud. A shiver crept its way up her spine as she read about the entity whose description matched that of her own nightmares. Suddenly, she felt a hand on her shoulder. Sarah jumped and whirled around to face a very startled librarian. Sorry, you startled me, Sarah explained as she caught her breath. The librarian adjusted her thick-framed glasses and nodded. It's all right. I just wanted to let you know that we were closing, but you're welcome to check out your book and take it home if you like. Sarah checked the book, got into her car, and headed back to her house. She pulled in the driveway and put the car in park. She didn't notice the curtain in the upstairs window moving as she approached the front door, fumbling with her keys. She set her things down on the coffee table in the living room and plopped down on the couch with her book. She had no interest in going to bed, knowing that she likely would just stare at the ceiling for all hours. She continued reading about the night hag, which was described as a decrepit old woman with long black hair, rotten teeth, and a pointy nose in certain western cultures. What she found surprising is that the hag woman exists in almost every culture across the world, with varying distinctions. Before she realized it, Sarah began to nod off, 
eventually succumbing to her body's intense need for sleep. She dozed off with the book on her chest. She dreamed she was lying on the couch. Everything seemed normal, except that she could see her breath. That's when she noticed the figure standing in the corner of the room. Its long black hair covered its face. It was holding a book. Sarah immediately looked down and noticed the book she had fallen asleep with wasn't on her chest as she had left it. Suddenly, the figure dropped the book and started gliding towards Sarah. Sarah tried to scream, but she couldn't open her mouth. The hag woman climbed on top of her, her long hair falling across Sarah's face like greasy black tentacles. She could smell the rot from the woman's teeth. It felt like she weighed a thousand pounds, and again, Sarah tried unsuccessfully to scream. She squeezed her eyes shut and tried with all of her might to extricate herself from what she prayed was just a dream. Just as soon as she willed it, she sat straight up on the couch and gasped for breath, filling her lungs with the damp, stagnant air of the living room. The hag was gone. Just another nightmare. Then she looked down and realized her book wasn't on her chest. That familiar chill ran down her spine as she looked to the corner of the room where the hag had stood in her nightmare and saw the book lying there on the floor. I'm Dave Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Kent, Ohio. The area now known as Kent, Ohio, was originally inhabited by various tribes of Native Americans. Settlement by Europeans began in the late 1790s and early 19th century. As part of the Connecticut Western Reserve, the area was divided into survey townships in 1798, and almost all of what is now known as Kent was originally part of Town 3, Range 9, which would eventually be known as Franklin Township. In the era leading up to the American Civil War, Franklin Township was an active stop on the Underground Railroad, giving fugitive slaves shelter on their escape to Canada. In 1864, the village was renamed Kent to honor Marvin Kent, the local businessman who started the railroad company in town. The city of Kent has plenty of history, some good and some bad, and as is true with most cities, some of the history has led to several of its locations being haunted. The Kent Masonic Temple was built in 1880 by the city's namesake, Marvin Kent. It was originally constructed as a home for the Kents and was completed in 1884. On May 19, 1886, Marvin's son William was visiting with his wife Kitty. Kitty was on the third floor when a kerosene heater exploded, severely burning the 35-year-old woman as she tended to the stove. The burns proved to be fatal, as the next day she drew her final breath. After her death, the third floor was boarded up and shut down completely. The Kent family eventually decided that they didn't want to keep the home in their family, and instead sold it to the Rockton Freemason Lodge. The lodge moved into the home on November 1st, 1923. Since the lodge's claiming of the Kent home, members and visitors have reported numerous paranormal sightings. Witnesses claim to have seen a full-body apparition of a woman in old-fashioned white dresses appearing in various locations throughout the former mansion, 
She is believed to be responsible for the loud noises that emanate from the third floor ballroom and leaving scratch marks all over the floors and walls. Kitty, however, is not the only spirit that haunts the old building. Nellie Dingley was the first librarian to operate the Kent Free Library that was housed in the Masonic Temple. She was also a nurse in the military who went overseas to aid in World War I, but she never came home. Her ghost is said to haunt the Masonic Temple and has been spotted walking quickly through the home dressed in an old-fashioned nurse's uniform. Kent is known for a lot of things, but over the years, its reputation has been that it's mainly a college town due to the fact that it's the home of Kent State University on East Summit Street. Kent State University was established in 1910 as an institution for training public school teachers. The school graduated 34 students in its first commencement on July 29, 1914, and in 1929, the state of Ohio changed the name to Kent State College as it allowed the school to establish a college of arts and sciences. The university saw continued growth in both enrollment and physical size of the campus through the 1950s and 60s. In 1963, the Vietnam War was ramping up and President JFK escalated American involvement by raising the number of troops. This sparked a chain of protests all across the country, many of which occurring at college campuses, including Kent State University. During the 1966 homecoming parade, protesters walked dressed in military paraphernalia with gas masks. In the fall of 1968, the Students for a Democratic Society, SDS, in a campus black student organization staged a sit-in to protest against police recruiters on campus. In 1970, President Nixon announced that the Cambodian incursion had been launched by the United States Combat Forces. This caused the peaceful protests on campus to turn violent. During a press conference at the Kent Firehouse, an emotional Governor Rhodes pounded on the desk, which can be heard in the recording of his speech. He called the student protesters un-American, referring to them as revolutionaries set on destroying higher education in Ohio. As the protests turned to riots, the National Guard was deployed to the campus, armed with M1 rifles fixed with bayonets. The crowd was ordered several times to disperse, but the attempt was unsuccessful. After the crowd failed to follow the order to disperse, grenadiers were ordered to fire tear gas from M79 grenade launchers, but the canisters fell short and only managed to make the protesters retreat somewhat from their previous positions. During their climb back to Blanket Hill, several guardsmen stopped and half-turned to keep their eyes on the students in the Prentice Hall parking lot. At 12.24 p.m., according to eyewitnesses, a sergeant named Myron Pryor turned and began firing at the crowd of students with his 45 caliber pistol. Several guardsmen nearest the students also turned and fired their rifles at the students. In all, at least 29 of the 77 guardsmen claimed to have fired their weapons using an estimated 67 rounds of ammunition. Four students under the age of 21 were killed and nine others were wounded. The infamous incident went on to be known as the May 4th Massacre. Twelve years before the massacre, in the summer of 1958, 23-year-old Kent State grad Judy Kuntz was serving as a conservation instructor at Camp Clifton. 
On the morning of July 17, 1958, she was leading 40 campers on a hike at what is now known as the Clifton Gorge State Nature Preserve when an 11-year-old girl lost her footing and fell into the Little Miami River, a 35-foot drop into 75 or 80 feet of rushing water. Kuntz told the other children to go to a nearby road and summon help. Then, she climbed partway down the cliff wall and leapt into the river in a rescue attempt. By the time sheriff deputies, firemen, and policemen arrived, she and the girl had drowned in the swift current. The event triggered a search for both victims, and the child's body was recovered that evening about 1,000 feet west of where she had fallen into the river. Kuntz's body was recovered the following Sunday, July 20th, 150 feet downstream. After her tragic death, Kuntz was posthumously awarded the Carnegie Medal for Heroism, an honor awarded to individuals who risked their lives attempting to save the lives of others. Kent State University named Kuntz Hall in her memory. The hall to this day is said to be haunted by Judy's ghost. In 1994, university housekeeping supervisor Greg Evans was working late one night, checking freezers to make sure that they were in working order. All the doors were locked and nobody was with him in the building. He entered the long hallway on the second floor, which at the time was completely dark. He placed his hand on the wall to guide himself through the blanket of gloom and walked forward. Suddenly, the hallway lit up and he saw a figure as brilliant white as could be. It was floating in the air. Greg rubbed his eyes, but the figure was still there when he opened them again. He began backing up and the figure seemed to notice him as it slowly turned to face him. Before making eye contact, he covered his eyes with his hands and rubbed them ferociously. When he opened them again, the figure was gone. Greg never walked down that hallway again unless the sun was shining. In 2004, residents of Corb Hall began complaining that the halls had been overtaken by a stench for the past few weeks. The source of the smell, when it was discovered, was the decomposing body of a student, Julie Hogan. She had been dead for some time. An autopsy was performed, but was unable to determine the cause of death. She simply just dropped dead. Years later, a visual communication student and paranormal enthusiast began conducting research on the event and its possible ties to paranormal events occurring around campus. Paranormal events included phantom footsteps above the top floor of Stouffer Hall, tapping from inside the walls and third-floor rooms of the Johnson Hall, and the inexplicable slamming of a shower door in one of the Johnson Hall bathrooms. Many of these paranormal occurrences still go on today, and Kent State University is considered to be one of the top ten most haunted locations in the state of Ohio. In the suburbs of Kent, Ohio, sits a small, seemingly innocuous house. On the outside, you'd think it was just an ordinary house. But according to several different people who have lived there over the years, it's anything but harmless, because within its walls dwells something evil, something possibly ancient and malign. The house is a rental property, and is primarily rented out to college students looking for a place to live while attending Kent State. The house is a three-bedroom, so students typically rent it out in groups of three. Various groups of college students have all rented this house at different times and all experienced the same or very similar haunting occurrences. Upon moving in, housemates would almost immediately notice mood and attitude changes among each other. Friends would become enemies, 
and people who had been close their entire lives would become strangers. And that is about when the weird stuff would start to happen. Tenants would find that appliances would randomly turn on and off. On one instance, an electric fan would keep turning on, causing a sleeping couple to wake up and turn it back off. Eventually, they got up to unplug it and found out that it hadn't even been plugged in in the first place. The inexplicable occurrences were often accompanied by vivid nightmares, and the nightmares were experienced by multiple people in the house, only they didn't realize they were all having the same nightmares right away. In the nightmare, the dreamer would be alone in the house at first, but then there would be a woman with long locks of dark hair, wearing either a white dress or gown or nightshirt. She would either be standing at the end of the hall or walking into a bedroom or hovering over the bed of the sleeping person, and she was not pleasant to look at. At first, the nightmares were just that, nightmares. But then, tenants would begin seeing the hag in the house while they were awake. It didn't stop there. House guests would see her too. On one occasion, a tenant had a boyfriend stay over in the house. He woke in the middle of the night and saw a woman with dark hair standing in the hall. Unsure as to who she was, he began to approach, but as he did so, she opened her mouth and growled at him. Lindsay Brisbane lived in the house in 2003 to 2004 and had been so haunted by the events that occurred while living there that years later, she began to dig around to find some answers to her questions. She began reaching out to other people who she thought may have lived there and shared similar experiences. She found several and some of the experiences were practically identical to hers. Changes in behavior, pets acting strangely, objects moving on their own, and nightmares of the hag woman with long black hair. Nobody really knows what haunts that little white house in Kent, Ohio. Whether it's the disembodied spirit of a former resident of the house, something conjured through the dark arts, or something ancient, evil, or demonic. It's hard to deny its existence when there are so many witness accounts from people who all experienced the same hauntings at different periods in time. Hometown Ghost Stories, episode number 76. I'm Jesse Wilkins. I'm joined by Rob Coakley. Hello, Rob. I think I've found a new type of ghost that I just do not want to be haunted by. And Dave. Hello, Dave. What's going on? Same. I'd have to agree with you. The old the old hag seems a little uh, a little out of my league of paranormal to deal with at the moment. So I'm going to let others deal with that situation. Yeah. Speaking of others, we have a special guest on today's show. Uh, the source of many of these stories here, and we're talking about Kent, Ohio, so we figured who better to bring on than our friend Lizzie, uh, Lindsay Brisbane. Welcome in, Lindsay. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for joining us. So, Lindsay, you, you're you from Kent, Ohio, or you at least went to college there, so you were telling us that not only the story that we shared our view, but you've also been to all these places and seen all of this and had some other experiences in these places as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know all of what you guys want me to go into, but it was crazy you brought up the um, the hall that that woman's named after. I actually dealt with her ghost for an entire summer. So when you brought that up, I went, no shit, they actually know about Coons Hall. And I actually have quite a story about that one if you want to hear it, but you know. We do. We do, <laughs> okay. we do want to hear it. Okay. I also, so I also want to talk about the name of this town. There, Kent, Coons Hall. There's some real, some real close names going on here to some bad words that we don't want to say <laughs> on this show. They need to relax over there in Kent, Ohio is what I'm going to go with. Yeah, and I have a really heavy Midwest accent, so those words could definitely sound like bad words <laughs> with my accent, for well, sure. Well, that's fine on this show. So yeah, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your experience in this hall? Yeah, so um, my parents had moved to Florida um, and abandoned my ass when I was 18, and I didn't have anywhere to live. So I decided I'll live in the dorms because they had one dorm open. And um, the whole campus was completely vacated, so I was literally living alone in this dorm. Um, and I think I'm like two floors above me, there was a bunch of foreign exchange students, but beyond them, there was nothing. There was only a few classes going on on campus. So I took extra classes anyway. So I move into this room and the first thing that started happening was as I was staying in my room, it was across from what would be like an elevator. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the elevator would just come up and ding on my, my floor. Um, and I, you had to press a button to make the elevator come up to your floor. And when you're the only person basically living in this building, besides many floors up one, you know, group of students, I couldn't figure out what was doing it. And it would happen all hours and it would just, I could hear it and it freaked me out, but I thought, you know, whatever, I'm the only one here. Maybe it's just knows I'm here. Like just electronically. I don't know. So in the middle of the night, classic time, probably around 3 a.m., every night, the room, the way it was, it was like a very long room. And my bed was near the windows at one end and I had closets and things. And um, I was feeling really isolated because I was far from my friends, had all gone home from the summer, summer and all that and didn't really have, you know, much going on. And um, every night at the other end of my room, I would hear and see someone rustling through my belongings. It's the only way I can oh. say it. So I could see the shape of a person going through my closet, going through my things, like digging through my stuff. And I would get up the, you know, the guts to flick on a light and nobody would be there. So my best friend Lane, who you hear about her a lot in the first season of my podcast, um, she stayed over one night and I didn't tell her anything about what was going on because I didn't quite know what was going on yet. Um, and she wakes me up in the middle of the night and goes, dude, Lindsay, there's somebody in your room. They're, they're in your room. They're like going through your stuff. And she's like shaking me. And I wake up and I go, you know, yeah. She goes, don't you look, I can hear them. Who is in your room? And I said, I don't, it's not a person. I don't know. So we sat there for a couple of minutes and just listened to it. And she eventually was like, that's it. Turn on the light. And it was gone. Um, and so after that, I just had this feeling like I wasn't alone and something was trying to communicate with me. I wouldn't say that nighttime stuff definitely freaked me out. Don't get me wrong. Definitely freaked me out. But um, I had this like strange vibe of just like something's trying to get my attention for a reason. So the next thing that started happening was when I would 
take showers in the building, the way that the handles were in these showers, they were like kind of massive metal turning shower handles. Like you might see in like a kind of a old like a prison, <laughs> kind of like a prison. Yeah. And then the showers look like prison showers. They were not updated at all back then. I don't know what it's like there at Kent now, but yeah, it was like prison showers with prison shower handles. So to turn it from hot to cold, I mean, you really had to grab it and yank it. I mean, it's an old shower. And I would be in the shower and I would feel the water go from hot to cold. And I would, you know, have soap in my eyes or my hair and I would turn around and I would see that the handle got turned all the way back to cold. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. And this would happen all the time. So I'm alone living in this in this dorm with something rustling around in my room every every night. And now this is happening in the shower. And so one day I could feel it happening and I turned around really fast and I actually watched it turn. Oh, it gives me the goosebumps. I watched the handle go from an upside down turn all the way around. And I just kind of took a deep breath and I remember just being covered in soap and just standing there and just cold water blasting me and being like, holy shit. So it's an entity. And I should also paraphrase or let you all know, I do have abilities. I have my whole life. So not shocking, but still when you see something, do something like that certainly takes your breath away, especially when it's that frigging cold. Um, so the next yeah, literally. time, I, <laughs> literally. So the next time I was in the shower and this happened again, I felt it starting. And I said, whoever you are, I promise you I'm listening and I will figure out who you are and what you want you have to communicate this to me. And I felt the water go from cold to hot. And I went, okay. And something in me told me this has to do with water, cold water. So I knew it wasn't just something playing a trick at this point after I said that and I felt it, I knew they're communicating to me. It has to do with water. So I knew that in my head. So I kept continuously at night, I'd I'd hear it. And now I knew it's communicating. I don't have to be as scared. And I would hear it in there. And I would say, if you're in here, because you're alone too, it's okay. I'm alone too. Um, But I'm trying to sleep if you can keep it down. And I would actually see its shadow figure stop moving and it would just sit down. And I would go, you can stay if you want to kind of thing. Which is so weird to say. That so, is weird. It is That's so creepy. Weird. Well, there's a lot yeah. of so there's a lot of about this story that that I find interesting because you don't you you have an ex- experience with something and it's at least for me where I feel like for most people when they experience something their first thought is like I'm just crazy right I'm losing it, but to have somebody else then come in like your friend Lane did and witness the exact same thing it validates what you saw so that takes it to a whole other level and you're not the only person who's had haunting experiences in that hall as we've we found you can research it you can look into Coons hall and get get the backstory and everything about that and there was one one thing that i found was that the shower door would slam in the, oh in no the, way the see i didn't even know all this so this is what's so funny you brought up the Coons hall thing and although i went to kent um you know i didn't know that it was haunted when i was living in it at all so so then the next thing that happened is one day I was going to leave my room and a hand reached over my shoulder. And as I grabbed the door handle, the hand put its hand on top of my hand. And when I looked, it disappeared about forearm up. So I oh. saw it reach over, kind of put its hand on my hand, and then it just dissipated forearm up. And I just stood there and just stared at it like, 
it's whatever this person is. But I could tell it was a woman's hand. I did, I could see that. So I every day was like, what is this entity? What does they what do they want? And usually they want something. And I get the sense that they're alone or they're lonely. So one day I'm walking through um, like the lower area of the building, like walking around and there's this plaque and the plaque tells the story about the woman who saved the, the or tried to save the child from drowning, said her name and instantly goosebumps, chills. And I said, that's who it is. And yeah. that's who it is. So that day I went back up into my room and I said, I know it's you. I just wanted to say, you know, you were so brave to try to save that child. You know, you're not forgotten. There's a plaque to you. I'm here. I'm alone. Um, and I sense you and you're just not forgotten. And the rest of the summer went on that way. I just knew she was there. And after I acknowledged her, all the stuff at night stopped. So I didn't hear anymore. I didn't see her anymore. It was like she just wanted me to connect with her like she knew I could sense her. And after that, that was that. That's cool. Did you talk to anybody else after the fact and had anyone else that you communicated with like that you went to school with or lived in that dorm had any experiences of their own? No, I didn't really like ask around about it for some reason, which yeah. is weird because I'm kind of obsessed with the paranormal. I almost felt like at the time, I don't know how to say it. I just felt like it was a private moment <laughs> between me and this entity. Mm -hmm. And my friend Lane obviously saw and heard her. Um, but once I kind of solved the riddle, I was just like, okay. And then once I talked to her and she stopped, I just went, okay, that's who it was. And we're good now. One thing that stood out to me is when you were telling one of the, one of the things that happened, you said, oh, I still get goosebumps telling this story. And I have the story from the house in Bridgewater, as our listeners know. And every time I tell one portion of that story, no matter how many times I tell it, I still get goosebumps because it's just, it still just was a moment that just like was utter, utterly terrifying to the point that when I reflect on it, I still get that, that feeling that I had that day. So it's uh, always interesting to hear other people have that same exact experience. Yeah. I right. get it's different when you take a cold shower. Yeah, for sure. So, we're all in the same boat here. <laughs> well, it's there's obvious differences when you're telling a story versus when you're telling your own story. Because if it's something that you experienced, it doesn't matter how many times you tell it because you're almost reliving it every time you tell it. It's a good yeah, point. I, and the, the whole yeah, thing I, with like the ghost looking through your, your stuff, I, I wonder, like, do you think there could have been some sort of item that they were searching for or is that just kind of questions left unanswered or do you think everything was just kind of settled when you at least acknowledged who that ghost might have been? I thought, and this is a really weird thing to say, I remembered feeling, again, I have abilities and I had this sense that they were trying to figure out who I was. Like they were going through my things, trying to figure out what's her name, who is she, why is she here, why is she alone? Like I almost felt like it was like a teacher, somebody at school trying to get to know a student and not wanting to approach them somehow. Like she was trying to go through my things to get to know me. That's the only way I could explain it. So I just got a sense like she was going through my papers. I mean, I could hear my papers moving even sometimes. And like somebody just going through your belongings, thinking you're asleep. And that was the other thing. It was as if they were trying to do it while I was asleep. Okay, she's asleep. I can go through her stuff and try to figure out what I can about this person, like how I can communicate with them or whatever. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's what I felt at the time. So yeah, if a ghost looked through my schoolwork papers, they would have been like, "Wow, this is an idiot. I'm going to go have something else." <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely signifies that it was an intelligent haunt, not a residual haunt. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And just the the responses I got from it, um, let me know. Yeah. Okay. Like this is communicating and and it's interacting. Like when I first, you know, said I can hear you, whatever, and I saw it sit down, um, I went, okay. So it it's here and it knows what I'm saying. So the shower thing concerns me. That makes me wonder if there was multiple ghosts because that sounds like something powerful and potentially dangerous if it could twist the whole shower handle. I mean, like that. I mean, if, if it were going the other way, if it were turning it all the way up to hot, it could have hurt you, you know? Yeah. So. And, and it was a really jarring, like the first few times it happened. I mean, I literally, I remember getting soap. The first time it happened, I got soap in my eyes, which by the way, I have really small eyes and I hate getting soap in my tiny eyes because it's really hard to get the soap out. And I'm not, thing? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I joke that I have shrimp eyes. They're so tiny, but my eyes are so small and I'm not good. Like I've never been able to put in contacts or like I'm really bad at putting in eye drops. And I literally, remember when I got soap in my eyes that first time I was just like what the like I was freaking out and I couldn't it was so cold and I was like trying to like navigate it and then it just kept happening until I saw it happen and then I realized okay something's doing this for sure and I think like she was using the water especially turning it to cold to symbolize the drowning and the cold water so it was like her way to say water water you know well Jesse that's an interesting point about the dark or possibly demonic is because Lindsay on your podcast you had that the uh what's his name the demonologist there oh Michael Salerno yes yeah it wasn't he saying that if something is strong enough to whether it be move furniture or physically push a human that's usually demonic that's usually the big D yeah anything that can move anything over five pounds you're more than likely dealing with a demon there are cases of entities or spirits you know, if they practiced hard enough, that's the way I look at it over time, maybe they can do certain things. Um, but if they can move anything over five pounds, they say it's probably a demon. Yeah. So would you say that that crank in that shower more or less than five pounds of pressure to move it? <sighs> that's hard to say. And you know, the depends other thing- how much WD-40 you got on that. Yeah, it turns yeah. out greased up that, that puppy was. But <laughs> what I will say is that, you know, water is considered a a conduit and it's considered source of energy. And, you know, when people think about spirits and how they can manipulate energy, whether they're, you know, utilizing electrical devices, I also think they can gain a lot of energy from water. So could be the big D or it could have just been that that entity was like utilizing the energy of water and was like, here we go. I'm going to crank this freaking switch, you know, but either way, creepy, definitely very, creepy. Very, very. All right, Lindsay, you've done this to yourself and I'm sorry about it, but <laughs> What we need you to do now mm -hmm. is we need you to go get a ruler. Okay. And we are going to measure your tiny eyes. And see <laughs> just I got nervous because we're talking about big D's and I'm like, oh, no, like <laughs> well, that's only fair. If we measure my tiny eyes, we'll have to get out a ruler for big D's too. Yeah. How big is your demon? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so what all your listeners need D to call it from now on. Yeah. yeah. Big D does not stand for big Dave. We don't have any big Daves on this show. Just one. <laughs> Yeah, so that was the so that's the Koontz Hall in Kent State, and then the other thing that haunts there is, well, they don't know. So they get other. Oh, there was the the body of the girl they found. That was. Do you, do you remember that story? I feel like that would have been big news. No, I, don't I actually don't. Maybe that's before my time or after my time. I mean, before my time. I mean the may 4th stuff like totally i visited right. all those graves which you have to walk by or like they're not graves but like where they were shot they have them marked off just such a strange feeling and then um 
I one time well, early on when I first started school there, I was walking to or back from classes at night and um I'll never forget just walking across this huge field where it all happened. And there must have been, I don't know, 200 candles, something lit. And I was alone in the middle of like the darkness. It was probably like midnight. I was at uh, graphic design school at the time. So I had been there really late and I was walking home and I'm like, and this is where I'm a human sacrifice. Like I didn't click that it was like May 4th. And I was just like, and this is where I die. Um, and I just walked across the field. And when I got back, I realized, oh, that was that. But definitely like spooky vibes. There was more than once I would walk by where they were shot and you could just feel the energy. I don't know how to explain it. You could just randomly just feel sorrow and pain and fear just at random. Yeah. Well, if you did ever you ever are a human sacrifice, we will come to the location that you were sacrificed and we will try to to communicate with you because we would like to have you back on the show in some form or manner. And if it's as, as a EVP, then it's as a EVP. We Perfect. do what we do. I'll we come do through do. for you. I promise. <laughs> no, so did you, did you accident hold different level of ghost stories right there? Sorry. Dave. <laughs> did you accidentally ruin the ceremony when you walked through it without realizing it? Yeah. You know, the whole way, like I can't even tell you cause I totally blanked on the day and what was going on. And all, by the way, all my other years at Kent, cause I was there for five for school, five years. Um, Never had that happen again. So my first year was the only time this whole candle of like 200 candles, like lining the whole hill, lining the field, lining everywhere. And there was no one around. Like usually it. it well, that's why it, they banned you because you walked through right through the middle. It didn't help that you blew out every candle too. It was just. Yeah. I like walked by and I just started kicking over the candles. I'm like, what? What the hell is this? Get this shit out of here. I got places. To you I brought them light- into, yeah. You brought I, them into your cold shower. You're like, ah. I'll take those. I was light my cigarettes off. I'm like, oh, these are nice. <laughs> This is perfect. This is all I need. Roasted a few marshmallows and the, they're like the Satanists are like, Jesus, we can't. This girl's ruining everything. I don't think the Satanists say Jesus. Oh, that's true. They might. <laughs> they're like, ah, oh, Satan. Ah, oh, Satan. <laughs> so that's Kent State, uh, which is so that there's was. So when you said to me, uh, Kent, Kent, Ohio, I was looking into it and I was like, all right, what's, what can we find in Kent that's haunted? And then I found, oh, Kent State. And I was like, oh, the. The May Fourth thing. This place must be haunted, and I was pretty surprised to find out that 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 the college is haunted, but not because of that. Like not, the hauntings have nothing to do with that. To my no. knowledge, yeah, I had another. I don't know if you want another spooky haunted dorm experience, even scarier than the last one. By the way, yeah. this isn't the show for that. Oh, not yeah. at all. Okay, <laughs> then we won't go into it. But if you want to hear it, this is this is a pretty this is a pretty messed up one. Again, with Lane, my my best friend and former roommate. This is before we lived in the horrifically haunted house that would end up being my podcast story. But um, so we heard rumors that there was a haunted dorm on campus, not Coons Hall, but another one and that it was abandoned. And I thought, what? Like, I've never heard of this. Like, I don't understand why no one else knows about this. Weirdly enough, we became friends with a campus uh, police officer. Don't know why that happened. His name was Jeff the Cop, we called him. And uh, Jeff the Cop came in for pizza one day. And I said, hey, Jeff, you ever heard of a haunted dorm? He goes, yeah, the abandoned one, right? And I went, you've heard of it? And he goes, heard of it? We get 911 phone calls from inside the building. Problem is, there's no phone lines or anything in the building. We get them to this day. And he proceeded to explain that in the 60s or 70s, a few students had committed suicide by either jumping off the roof or hanging themselves in, in the rooms. Um, 
And so much paranormal activity had happened that the college, without wanting to say it, sorry, Kent, that the rumor's out, but without wanting to tell anybody, decided to shut the dorm down completely. They didn't knock it down or anything. They just shut it down. And he goes, when we get these 911 calls from inside the building, um, usually lining up with times or dates of these supposed suicides from way back when, um, we have to, as police, go search the building. And many of the officers are so scared they won't go search the building. So we got him to tell us which building it was. And to my surprise, I had walked past this building a ton of times. I had never known. It looked not in disarray, but it was clearly sealed once we got close to it. And I went, this is it. This is the building. So I come up with this great idea with my friend Lane that we're going to go in take a little peek about. And my other uh, friend and roommate, uh, Rebecca, who's from my first season as well, is going to be our lookout. And I decide, you know, being team leader, that we'll go during the day because it will be a lot less suspicious. No one will see us with flashlights on and stuff inside since I know that the cops like patrol this via our friend Jeff the cop. So we find an open window. We decide what day we're going to go back. And it's so weird. We open the window. We hop in. And Reba's watching guard and students are walking by, you know, for classes and stuff. But we kind of tried to time it at a time where we knew not a lot of people would be around so they wouldn't see us. So we hop in the window. And the weirdest thing is when we first got in the first room, it was a room of somebody must have been an architecture student because there was miniature buildings and things they had made, but they were all still in the room. And I remember looking around and going like, wow, that, look at this stuff. And it was all covered in dust and old. And I thought, how long has this place been closed? We start to walk down the hallways, um, and what was really weird is the place was closed, um, but everyone's stuff was still in some of the rooms, like really weirdly, like Amityville Horror style, like flee the house. Like we're walking around going like there's people's bedding still on beds and like people's clothes still in closets. Like this doesn't make sense as a college student. When you move out, you take your shit. Like I was just like, why? And it wasn't like that in every room, but enough rooms to be like, this is kind of weird. Um, so we're wandering around and I had this dinky little Polaroid camera that I'm like taking. It was like this mini Polaroid back in the day and pulling out and taking pictures and we go down this level and it's almost like a little boiler room, like not quite a basement, but like a half basement. And we get in there and my 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 chum Lane, she's kind of got, she's tapped in for sure. And she just like grabbed me and she goes, we are leaving now. And I'm like, dude, we just got in here. I'm like, what do you mean we're leaving now? I'm like, it's, we're fine. She's like, no, 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 no. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. We go back up the stairs and we get to the top of the stairs and I like took a picture with my little Polaroid and I put my camera down and I went, what's that? And Lane goes, what? And she looks, she goes, dude, what is that? Now at the end of this hallway, the way it was lit, because it's daylight, we have light streaming in from all these dorm room doors that are open and light at the end of the hall, what would be like the main kind of common area. And there's all this light everywhere. And now it's like, there's this gigantic shadow person, huge, standing at the end of the hall. And the whole space went from being lit to looking almost like it was night in there. But I could see this being. So we both just stand there for a minute. And all of a sudden, ugh, the doors 
it starts to come towards us like almost like Slimer and Ghostbusters coming at Bill Murray, except it's like the scariest shadow thing starts kind of rushing at us. And as it's rushing, the doors that are open are slamming together. Boom, 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 boom. We buck, we just run. And instead of going out the way we were supposed to go out, we bust out the side door of this building into where students are now everywhere our lookout, Rebecca, is like, guys, what the hell is the matter with you? You're banging doors in there. Everyone heard you. We got to run. And we're like, that wasn't us. And she's like, it was so loud. We have got to go. And students are kind of gathered around like, what the hell is they watch us like bust out of these doors? So we go back to our dorm that night and we're laying in our bunk beds. And the way our beds were in our college dorms, our desks were below and our beds were in these kind of like bunk bed things that we would like hop up into. And we're laying in our beds and I'm in mine and Lane's in hers. And I hear this, at first it sounds like grumbling, like not like a stomach growling, but kind of like a rumbling sound. And I kind of go, Lane, you hear that? She goes, yeah, I think I hear something. And then we just hear like a, and this like growling sound. I go, fuck this. (laughs) I go, go. And Lane jumps out of her bed. I jump out of my bed. We take a left out of our room, down the hall into the bathrooms. I remember like my heart was racing and she's standing in the bathroom with me. I'm like, dude, what the heck is going on? I'm like, we made a mistake. We should have never gone in there. That shadow thing. I took a picture and I kind of had a weird picture where you could kind of see something in it, but it's like a mini polar, but you could kind of see something. I said, it's all my fault. What have we done? And she says to me, I got to tell you something. And I went, oh, what? And she goes, I stole something from the building. Oh, no. And I go, what? She goes, remember when we came in that first room and there was all that cool, like, like little miniature buildings and architecture stuff? I just thought it was so cool. I took one. And I go, why would you do that? And she goes, I don't know. I just did. As we're talking in the bathroom, you hear it again. Like the loudest, most demonic shit you've ever heard. We run out of there in our pajamas. I say, get your shit, get what you took. We're going back now. And so she's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I go, I don't care what you want to do. Dude, we brought something back. We're idiots. We've got to take it back now. So now it's like, who knows what time we have to march all the way back to the abandoned building. I remember it was like surrounded by a bunch of like kind of like pine trees and stuff. Super spooky. We didn't make Reba go with us or anything. We get there. I have like the smallest flashlight in history. I'm like terrified, shaking. And she's so scared. She's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't go in. And I'm like, so you're making me go in alone. She goes, if something happens, somebody's got to tell somebody what happened. She's like, she's like, I'm not going in too. I can't do it. And I'm like, shit. So I remember I I slid back through the window, the same window that was open. I made her hand me the thing. It was like a little, you know, building. And I I had to look around in the dark because in my head, I was like, we took this, we brought it back, whatever. And I was like, I got to put it back exactly where she found it. So I'm like, I'm in there shaking with this little flashlight, looking at all the dust on these desks. And there it was. And I put it right back in the exact spot. And I kind of put up my hands. I said, whatever you, whatever we took with us, you're not allowed to leave with us. You, you are coming back here now and we are leaving and we apologize. And I slid out that window and, uh, yeah, and that was the haunted abandoned dorm. Is that I do have where a question it with ended? 
Yeah, that's where it ended. Thank oh, God. Good. Yeah, good. that was it. <laughs> it worked. It that was the end. Um, so was the dorm originally closed down because the the students had committed suicide, or was it? something like they closed it down because it was too haunted i got the sense from jeff the cop now again he could have been pulling our tails a little but what i will say is the information he gave us and at the time we were talking he seemed pretty straightforward about it and then i remember i did get to speak after we did this idiotic thing to another cop on campus who said the same thing that they were getting the 911 calls officers who had to go in there experience paranormal activity were often chased out of the building so this was like confirmed by two officers separately um and what i got the long of the short of it was that too many kids had killed themselves in the building and this and the campus and the uh campus you know the the college started to think eh, something something's up and with that paranormal activity was happening after that so they were just like okay we've had a couple of suicides and now stuff's getting weird we're just going to shut it down and seeing the amount of stuff that was left in their rooms like i'm not saying amityville like all the students ran out but certainly students don't leave their stuff like that so that also didn't make very much sense to me mm -hmm. yeah that's a yeah weird i kind of worried i had kind of worried uh wondered because if it was like right after maybe that was the student's room or something like that but if it was like the whole place was left like that it's very strange yeah it was really weird. Left. it does make me think of amityville uh so basically came in and asked the same question she said uh so the college dorm was shut down for the suicides and didn't allow students to take their things or didn't clean up after they left such a strong or why such a strong reaction well yeah what i can say is whatever was in there that could slam all those doors and the sound of it like to this day and and seeing that thing kind of rushing us but the sound of the doors like slamming in unison and then busting out the the side door of this place and seeing students everywhere like like with these looks on their faces, like, what are we hearing? Like, you could tell everyone was like, what the hell? And having my friend go, what are you guys banging around in there for? Everyone heard you. Um, and just going, okay, that happened. So if that was in there, and I can only imagine if you lived in that dorm, Lord have mercy. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, Matthew comes in with the question of the day, which we'll be talking about a few times. He said, is slamming doors over five pounds? Yeah, I, I would say how much, how much force it would take to slam. I mean, to close a door it doesn't have to be five pounds of pressure. But I mean, if you're slamming a door, I don't know. I would say, door, I and what I would say with that too is like if you're thinking about a long hallway, these hallways and these dorms are really pencil style, like long, long. Um, it wasn't just one or two doors. I would guess conservatively maybe fifteen to twenty doors. That's so I would go with that has to be the big D. Yeah. <laughs> We, we also found the friend not to bring on ghost hunts in the future. Um, right. Oh, what the thief. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Don't. Yeah. Lane is. And what's weird is she has so many paranormal stories, really spooky ones too. And she's the first one to provoke a ghost. She's the first one to take some, I don't know what goes through her head because I'm well, like, hey, Dude. If, she, if she ever goes to the conjuring house, she can leave with 68 animal dolls. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she would too. She's, everywhere. And Lane is weird as hell. Like she has like she collects like really scary dolls and like like the kinds like ventriloquism type dolls and she'll like hold like she's weird. I love her. She's my best <laughs> friend, but she's a total weirdo. When she used to collect clowns and I hate clowns and I would sleep over either at her apartment or in her room and she would like line them up so when I woke up in the morning they were just like right there. And oh, I'd be no. like <laughs> Dude, yeah, if I didn't have kids doing? that would be terrified of these items, I would be collecting like all of the haunted items. No, I'm never going cool. to Lane's house. I am not ever going to Lane's house. Uh, 
that invite ever gets sent out, she can keep it. If no, you ever hear you. from Elaine, and I'm at least not there to chaperone, yeah, don't go, because who knows? Yeah, sounds terrifying. So tell us about your haunted experience. So if you haven't got the gist of it yet, Lindsay has a podcast called The Chilling, and it is basically a 14 episode or 13 episode plus a bonus episode of her haunted experience at this house that we alluded to briefly in the opening video but tell us a little bit about that i don't know it's, it's a long story so obviously we can't cover the we whole thing. would no we would like you to recite all 14 episodes right now <laughs> great yeah. i pr i printed them out and i'm just gonna like put on a little shakespeare outfit and just like put a ghost shakespeare and i'll just recite it all holding a skull no, it'll just, be perfect please, just wear a doctor's cloak Make, and make sure you have a magnifying glass for your tiny eyes. Yes, exactly. and I, I need two of them. Hold up like just like this. So you can Whenever see you do, it won't, it won't take as long. A couple episodes ago, I explained how a nuclear reactor worked. Thought it would be a little bit of a shorter explanation. Turns out it wasn't. Still went for the whole thing. So <laughs> That's great. I you love have it. all the time in the world. Knock it out. Perfect. Yeah. So to start with, like, you know, the weirdest thing to start with, I guess I should say, is when we first saw this house. Now, I'm older now. I've rented plenty of places. I, uh, you know, I, I've gotten used to it. And usually when you rent something, now that I know, hello, um, they maybe do a background check and you maybe see it and that's that, right? Right. We go to see this house. It's me, my friend Amber, and my friend Reba. Now, Amber is like tough as nuts, man. She is a sharpshooting, no bullshit just a straight shooter. I love Amber. Um, and Reba's very quiet and very calm and very reserved, you know, and, and I'm like the outgoing clown of the group. So we, we go to see this house and the landlords both want to meet all of us and want to show us the house. Now, none of us have ever rented anything outside of living in college dorms. So we have no frame of reference. So we're like, well, that's weird, but I mean, whatever, like we're desperate to get into this house because we didn't have a fourth roommate. There were no like four bedroom, like three bedroom rentals in the in the city that we could find except for this one. So we go to see the house and I just remember walking around with them and they were asking, especially me, I don't know why, the most personal questions and like just saying like the weirdest shit. It's hard to remember what, but I just remember being like, is it normal for like two grown men to be asking me all these questions? Like this seems a bit strange, but whatever, I'll do whatever. We want the house. These um, are like the landlords? It was the landlords, two of them, yes. And they were very nice, um, but they were very weird too. And what we started to notice was this place isn't big, but like, and that's the point, it isn't big. But if you were in one space, like let's say we were all standing in this little kitchen and you even diverted towards like where you might put the kitchen table, they'd be like, whoa, 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 come back here, come back here. We'll get to that in a second. Stay with the group. Stay. We're going to stay together. Hmm. And looking back, bit of a red flag because yeah. <laughs> you couldn't go to any room alone. I remember trying to like go into the stairwell to go upstairs and they were like, whoa, 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 we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Come back. We're going to, we're going to go through everything. And um, it was like, they didn't want us to be alone at any point in any space of this house. And I remember we went to see the basement. Now the basement ends up being a big part of this podcast in the end, but um, we went to go down and they said, oh, you don't need to see it. And Amber especially was like, it's a basement in our house. I want to see it. I can put stuff down there. I'm going. And Amber kind of just like bulldozed down. So we all had to go. And I was fine with kind of being like, I don't give, I mean, whatever. I don't need to see the basement. I'm fine. But 
down we all go. And we go down into this basement and instantly, I just, again, I have abilities. It took me a long time to admit that, but all of a sudden I just got that feeling of like, I don't think we're supposed to be down here. You know, like something's not right. And the landlords are getting really anxious and just like, well, this is it. It's old. You know, we didn't finish it or anything. We can go back upstairs. And then I remember Amber and Reba kind of turning and one of them going, what's over? And they're like, no, no, no. Come on. Let's go. Let's go up, 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 up. And so we left. So after we moved in, I remember we were like, well, let's go check out that creepy ass basement again. You know, especially me. I'm like, let's go see, you know, now that we're alone in this house, because we got it. Let's go look at it. And we go down and chaperones. Yeah, I don't have my weird, you know, weird old man chaperones. So I'm like, let's go look in the creepy basement, guys. Even though I knew I had gotten bad vibes, I was still like, I need to go back down there. So after we moved in, we go down there and it's weird because it's all like stone walls. Um, Part of the floor is basically like gravel mixed with like dirt. And then the other half is like um, not finished. It's weird. Like it's almost like they tore up part of the house or build on a new extension of the house and didn't finish it. But as we turn to look, (laughs) mind you, we already bought, we already signed the lease here. Turn and we look. And on the friggin' wall is the best thing we can say is um, this is like Satanistic looking graffiti. But what was weird is like it wasn't a pentagram. It wasn't like some metal dudes were down there and put this up. This was like some Rosemary ba- Rosemary's Baby or like Blair Witch style shit. Okay. Like it looked like an ancient witch. Or something made this. Was it the um? Am I confusing your story with someone else's? Was it the Levian sign for symbol for Baphomet, the demon? So it's it's so what I might to the best of my memory and the pieces I put together, it looks like I think it's called like the sigil of Baphomet or however you say it. Just imagine the most rudimentary, ancient looking. Like it looked, it didn't look like somebody's like, yeah, let's put up a pentagram of Satan down here. It looked like a freaking evil ass witch did a graffiti on the wall. And and it had all these weird symbols around. It, it was super strange. And um, we all saw it and went, oh God, I don't think that's a good, idea. this is bad. Okay, up we all go. And it was kind of like, let's just never go down there again. We're fine with that. Don't need to see that. Now, unfortunately on the first day, it started for me. It wasn't like in a movie where someone's like, oh, what's that noise? It was like full on haunting day one for me. And um, I remember the first thing I felt was um, it was so, I started feeling cold spots, which again, I've had a lot of paranormal instances in my life and experiences. I know that for some people they're like, I'd give anything for one. I'm like, no, you don't really want that. But I've had a lot. But I had never felt cold spots before. Heard about it in movies, saw it on shows, you know, but I had never felt that before. And I started getting this sensation like I could be in my room and just know like someone is standing in that corner just staring at me. And I'd work up the guts and I would walk over really slowly and just put out my hand and I'd put out my hand and then boom, I would hit this mass of like putting your hand in a freezer, like the temperature difference, no questions asked. And I could pull my hand out and there'd be nothing there. And I started feeling this 
while I was trying to go to sleep in my bed. And um, recently I was telling someone about this. My, you know, There's so much that happened in this house. There's no way to put it all in my podcast. It'd be 40 episodes long. But for example, I'm laying in my bed and I feel what feels like somebody's knees or thighs push into my mattress. So I feel somebody push on my mattress and I can feel my mattress move from their weight. And I remember going, somebody's leaning against my bed. And I'm like, you know, I'm a side sleeper for the most part. So I'm like laying that direction and I can feel my mattress move. And again, I would work up the guts and just be like, if there's something there. And I just remember sticking my hand into cold and then through cold to normal temperature. And I could feel my hand at a normal temp and like my arm in a different atmosphere. And I could move my hand and I could feel the difference. And I would just pull my arms in and go, oh God. And I would just like covers over the head, roll the other way and just be like, is this a freaking ghost? Like what is happening? So is this why you call your the haunt the chilling? Yes, because I had never felt that before. And I, and I know that some people think it's not true or it's not real or it happens or this was, I'm sure there's plenty of instances where people think they feel it, but this is undeniably, I could feel it. Um, and it was a mass, like a mass. And it's interesting because like I, we've come across cold spots before, but I've never thought to like try to reach to the other side of it. Well, it's also cause I'm a gigantic coward. <laughs> yes. So as soon as I feel the cold spot, I'm like, oh, maybe I should go the other way now. Goodbye. It's just the you have tiny, you have tiny T-Rex arms. So you couldn't reach the cold spot if you wanted to. <laughs> right. But yeah, so that's that's interesting that you were able to like reach through almost and kind of feel where all of that that mass was. And it was just such a weird sensation. And it would happen a lot. And I would do that a lot. And I don't know why. I'm not, I'm, truth be told, I'm not the most bravest person. Um, but I just had this weird feeling like there's something watching me. Um, and then, which I didn't disclose on the podcast, so I'll tell you guys, my closet was huge. And um, I lived in the up, upstairs bedroom and my closet was enormous. And from day one, I was like, you know, when you're a kid and you think there's a monster in your closet, I was like, there is an actual monster in my closet. Like, I just was like, that thing, that closet is off, off limits. And what would happen is the closet door, all the, all the doors in this house had old school, or even if you think about modern door handles and latches, like when you would shut a door and that little piece would go into the actual frame of the door, there's no undoing it. And it's like old fashioned handles in this house. So like you have to turn the handle to open the door. And I would close my closet door and be like laying in bed. And this is early on and when things before they really kicked up. And I would just hear the sound of my handle of my closet just go click. And I'd hear heard it turning. And I would hear it go like in a scary movie, just, and I would roll over and just watch my closet door open and just stop and then continue opening. Oh, Please. And um, I would be like, holy smoke. So then I was like, well, well, screw this ghost. I'm going to just pin the door open forever. Cause if you're in there, then I just want to see you and I don't care. And there's no more opening my door. Cause it's freaking me out. So I actually propped open my closet door and I put a bunch of stuff against it because I was so tired of it opening and doing all this creepy stuff. But what happened was whatever was in my closet, 
I got the sense every time I went in there, I don't know how else to say it, I felt in danger. Like if I went in my closet, I just felt in danger. So I actually took all my clothes, pulled them all to the front sides of the closet, moved all my stuff to the front side of the closet so that to get anything, I just had to stick my hand in and just grab what I needed. And then it got to a point where I was like, screw that stuff. And I actually would fold all my clothes and lay them against the wall of my bedroom so that I didn't even have to go in the closet because I was like, it's just off limits for me. So with all that happening right out the gate, I'm also dealing with all kinds of bizarre things. Um, you know, things in the house were opening and closing. Um, doors would open and close. Closets would open and close. Cupboards would open and close. And Amber, the tough roommate, was just like, it's an old house. You know, stop complaining. <laughs> the classic you know, go-to skeptic. Totally. And she didn't believe in anything like zero, nothing, no ghosts, no gods, no demons, no Satans, nothing. There's nothing except for humans, whatever. And we could be sitting on the couch together in the kitchen, like eating and a kitchen cabinet would just go pink and open. And she would just look and go, eh, old houses, huh? And I would be like, <laughs> I'd be like are you serious? Um, and I, on the first night started having my first visits from the night hag. And that I started talk about this because yeah. we went into pretty in depth and brought on some experts about like sleep paralysis and stuff like that. And we've always kind of equated one with another that never with a night hack. I've never even heard of a night hack until I listened to your podcast. Same. And it was such an interesting connection. And I had no idea that like, I don't want to spoil too much with your show. So you no, can no, stop no. Me if I'm taking all your good points, but you had brought up the fact that like nightmare, or I think it was one of the experts that you brought on that brought up that nightmare like derives from the mayor or something along those lines. I'm doing a bad job of explaining this, but it has to do with basically a, some sort of evil entity that would come to you while you're dreaming and it would just sit on your chest or lay on top of on top of you. And this is also part of, you know, where the succubus theory comes from and uh, you know, everything yeah, is kind of in, aligned with incubus. that. But. So the, the incubi, which were thought to sit on the chests of sleepers and in the old English name for these was mayor. So hence where they come get a nightmare from nightmare yes um yeah i brought on two two different specialists both neurologists both scientists one um he was the head of neurology basically in king's college london um and he doesn't believe in entities and he kind of went over um you know how sleep paralysis works now the other guy David Hufford, he's written some some books and he's well known world over in the sleep paralysis and folklore community because he approached it as well as a neurologist and scientist type perspective, but also was big into folklore. When I interviewed him, he admitted to me and this freaked me out because we're talking about these entities and what they can do. And he said, listen, when I was a professor, I could never admit this because they would have laughed me out of my position. He goes, just so you know, those things are real. It's not, that's not sleep paralysis. It's not a, a neurological condition. I don't know what they are and why they do it to humans, but from all my research, and he said he had two personal experiences. He said, I'm here to tell you those things are real. Demons, aliens, entities, I don't know, but from all his history, and he, I mean, he worked with cultures world over. And what's interesting is that the night hag, what I experienced, is one of the very common ones. And as he pointed out, 
dating back thousands of years, how could people without technology or a way to really pass speaking from, let's say, Japan all the way to, you know, First Nations or indigenous people, how would these cultures who have never communicated see the same thing? Yeah, it's the same thing with like dragons, where dragons are depicted in artworks all over the world from people who never communicated with each other. But we're not here to talk about dragons. Uh, the other interesting connection was with- real, real quick, just to go I'm always off into of dragons, by the way. Anytime you want to go on a dragon thing, I'm ready to go, man. Yeah, I, I grew up as a child of the 80s. I'm all dragon. So mm, Dave has dragons tattooed on his back. He does. Oh, nice. Dragons. Multiple. Yep. Oh. So just, just to go off of this, this night paralysis slash the night hag stuff. I remember one specific experience, and I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the show. We might have been one of the earlier episodes. Me and Jesse lived together in this apartment for about a year, maybe two years. I can't remember. We had no paranormal experiences in it, except one night he woke up and saw a woman standing over his bed. And on the same night, I felt somebody flip me over on my bed, sit down and lay next to me. And... The thing that was the creepiest, I mean, that was the creepiest part of it. But the other thing that was creepy is, I don't know where we were going the next day. I just remember me and Jesse got into a car together. We didn't speak for five minutes. And then almost at the same time, we were like, so I got to tell you about last night. And we just shared both of our experiences. And it's it just reminds me a lot of that. But it was just real. It's just, and it never happened again. It was a one-time thing right. in this apartment. So what's interesting with that, yeah, I mean, that definitely wasn't like a haunted place, but it was definitely something that was real similar. It was so weird that it happened the same night. What really struck me as interesting when listening to this was you're kind of tied to witches and witchcraft. Also found out why Hagrid is called Hagrid, which is kind of an interesting pun because Hagrid means you got rode on by witches. Mm -hmm. I'm like, damn, I bet Hagrid did ride some witches in his time. Anyways, um, (laughs) but so there's that. And then... um, but it, it was interesting because it started bringing me back to I would always have sleep paralysis. It was like something I, I commonly lucid dream. I don't know. I guess that's a thing that some people can do and some people can't. But it's like something I never really talk about because I, I just thought that was how everybody was. I was like, ah, oh, we all do lucid dreaming or whatever. But I, I, I kept going back to the same dream that I had that I still remember this day. And it was of a witch. And I never have dreams of witches or anything like this. But I remember it was like a horrifyingly real nightmares one of those lucid dreams where i could kind of run but i'm kind of going slow anyways i see this witch and she's like down the street i know it's bad i'm like oh shit that's a witch i gotta get away and i never have nightmares like this but i still remember it to this day and then i remember her moving like inhumanly fast and then i'm trying to wake myself up but i can't i have the sleep paralysis thing going on and i know that i see her hand coming out i'm like she's going to hurt me and i felt it in my ribs it was as if she was driving her hand into the side of my ribs and i could feel it like going through and, I, and I'm trying to wake myself up because I can actually feel this pain, which is something that I've never really experienced in a dream before. Like you can never really feel pain in dreams. And it was, and you were telling your story on, on the podcast and I was listening to it. I'm like, took me back to that dream. And I was like, damn, like this is really making me think more about sleep paralysis in this witch and these night hags and all these kind of connections. It was very strange, very strange connection there. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people who have listened to the story right in and just kind of go, man, like you really nailed it on the head or, you know, I've had experiences like this. And, you know, and for me, when so the nightmare started day one, night one. And what I should say for people is I've never had sleep paralysis before or since this house. I have I've had repetitive dreams in my life here or there. Um, But 
this was one dream, one nightmare on repeat for the entire time I lived in this house. If I woke up from the dream and I went back to sleep, it restarted from the beginning. And slowly I started to see what it was coming closer and closer to me in this dream. And it was the most horrifying experience because it got to a point where I didn't want to sleep anymore because I knew what was waiting for me. And I knew very quickly what I'm feeling in the house is what's coming for me in my sleep. So not only am I not safe in the house because it follows me around the house, but when I go to go to sleep, it's on me all night long. I can feel it standing next to my bed. I can feel, but now it's in my dreams too. And I felt so defenseless against this thing because what do you do? It's everywhere. You've got one roommate who won't believe you. And then my other roommate, Rebecca, who I had been best friend, I had known her since high school. We were basically best friends. Lane's like my best, best friend, but she's, Rebecca was one of my best friends. Rebecca moves into her room at the bottom of the stairs, shuts the door when we move in, never comes out like ever to a point that we're doing wellness checks because we think, is she dead? Did she kill herself? Like what is going on that our friend is not coming out? We used to hang out all the time. She won't come out for anything. And if you knocked on the door, she would be livid. So we had to mad. do this for, um, for Rob one time when we all went to Las Vegas and he lost all of his money on the first day. <laughs> so he just kept himself in his hotel room. We're like, we got to go get Rob. We got to make sure he doesn't kill himself. Let's take him out to eat. We got to get him. I was fine. I was fine. Yeah, this is unfortunately a true story. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. See, that's why I never gamble. I suck at it and I don't know what I'm yeah. doing. And everybody tries to convince me, oh, it'll be a good time. And then well, I start all losing. You all you need is Dave to put a curse on your chair. And then all of a sudden you'll reach all of the fortune when it comes to gambling, because this is what Rob, um, this is what Dave did to Rob. And all, now he's going to go play in the world series of poker because it's going so well, that curse. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. A little inside baseball for you there, but Lindsay, okay. uh, you sent me from my request, a picture that you drew of this hag woman that you were seeing. Would you mind if I shared that? No, go ahead. Share uh, away. I'm just going to pull that up. You guys can talk. Okay. I really hope. I, I mean, I, I'm it's not, not the best drawing. I really hope it's the worst drawing I've ever seen because that would be hilarious for the show. It's it's Just not that spectator. good. It's no, not good. very good. But one time somebody asked me, could you draw what you saw? Oh, Jesus oh. Christ. That's great. Come that's on. Terrifying. Step that's it up and horrifying. do a terrible job next time, please. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is good because I didn't want to spoil it because like I said, I'm, I'm trying my best not to spoil your whole podcast so people will actually go out and listen to it. But this looks like the description that you gave uh, in one of your episodes about it. And it was such a, such a good, creepy description. This is actually amazing artwork. Thank so, you. I just did done. that on the fly. I had nothing to, I think I made that with one piece of charcoal. I had nothing to draw with, but somebody said, this is years ago. They said, well, what did it look like? Kind of like, can you show me? And I was like, I, okay, let me try. I don't know. And I did this sketch and like, again, you know, black hair, white nightgown, um, I go into it in, in depth in the podcast. It's no way to go into it now, but it's literally the most scary thing I ever saw was what was below her skin. I have seen so many horror movies and nothing scares me now. And it's funny because what I saw in my nightmares every night was so terrifying. I'm so desensitized that like, you know, I could watch the scariest movie, movie and just like pop candy in my mouth. Oh, that's great. This is entertaining. But like nothing scares me anymore because I've never seen anything quite as bad as what I saw in my dreams over and over and over again. 
Yeah, so I, I one of my favorite pieces of art <laughs> like ever seen. <laughs> so not for audio listeners, uh, we'll post a picture on on Twitter or Instagram with her permission if if we oh, so choose course. to do so. But the um, yeah, the the for people that aren't going to look it up, it's basically she's sitting in a chair and there's this evil ghost woman hanging upside down, kind of right in front of her face. And it, the way you described this on the podcast was crazy. How it just refused to not lock eyes with you, and no matter where you turn, it would follow. Ugh. The way you described this was like it was so well done. So, uh, for those who haven't listened to the podcast yet, you, you definitely want to check this one out. It's uh, it's very well done, and um, yeah, this was the well, and the, the other point about that was that it, it the way she was upside down was kind of like an inverted cross. Cross, yeah. And the way she would do it too, like the best way I can I can say it too, um, and I describe it in the podcast. She would levitate, put out her arms, and then bring her feet together she literally looked like christ on the cross and i knew it too like the way her head was hanging and stuff like she was mimicking it Ugh. and it would float towards me and then slowly the feet would begin to rise above her until they went all the way up and that's when she would like break her own neck which i go into in detail in the podcast to look at me so she'd break her own neck to like look at me and then she would be in an inverted crucifix and i just knew it i was just like this this thing is like you know mimicking and mocking like the crucifixion and then doing this so yeah so I'm dealing with that that was a great time so I had that nightmare going on uh, I got a roommate who won't come out of her room and what's interesting the roommate who wouldn't come out of her room we she ended up moving out and we didn't speak for close to a decade and when wow. I did the pot yeah and when we did the podcast she talked to me and for the first time really talked about what was going on. And she openly said, looking back, something was going on in that house that ruined my mind because this is, this is a great example. She said that she would hear me outside her door, like tapping and laughing and like whispering and like doing all this weird stuff. Right. And she said she knew it was me and my voice or she would hear me running up and down the stairs and then come down and do it. And she even said she saw my feet under the door one time even. And she would hear this and get really mad at me. Like, why is Lindsay always picking on me and doing this? Like, this is so weird. And more than once, she admitted, she would hear me out there or hear me on the stairs coming up to the door, see the feet and would swing the door open and nobody would be there. And she would then realize that no one was home. And she says, looking back, what's really disturbing is it was clear that something was going on. And yet at the time she can see I'm not there. She can see I'm not home. And yet she was convinced it was me. Chad is, Chad is mentioning doppelganger and this does leave you with a couple of questions. Do you think it's something like that or how, how did, why did she assume it was you and not one of the other roommates? You know, I think that, you know, with speaking with demonologist, Michael Salerno, if there's one thing I learned and he ended up being a huge soundboard for me, I, I love him. Um, throughout my podcast, he was on the podcast, but I would message him constantly with questions, trying to get answers. And he said, when you're dealing with the demonic, that they want to divide and conquer. And usually they go after the strongest person first because that person's the glue that can kind of keep everybody together. And he said, you know, it went after you hard because of things that happened to you the year prior, but also you have abilities and you're strong and it knew it needed to take you out first. But also if you're the kind of glue of your friend group, how better to divide your friend group than to cause one of your friends to think it's you 
who is tormenting them and you that's trying to upset them and you doing all these things to them. It is a doppelganger situation because it's literally using your voice or planting that in that person's head to make them upset with you. And it really worked for sure. Hmm. Um, interesting. When we're done with the show, I'm just wondering if you can message me this address because I am looking for a reason she to won't. not talk to not talk it. to Dave for <laughs> 10 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so, so from there, um, you know, the next thing that really started happening was the running on the stairs. And what's weird about this is the house was small. It was old. So for example, if Reba was in her room downstairs watching TV or doing something, I could hear her. And Amber, who was on the back side of the house, who, by the way, had a basement door in her bedroom, you know, lucky Amber, um, even with me upstairs. That's a strange addition for a bedroom. Yeah, always, you know, yeah, really. great with, with the Satanist, you know, graffiti in the basement, even better. Um, but Amber would be in the back bedroom. And if she was watching TV or something, I could um, hear her in her room. So Rebecca would start complaining about this running on the stairs and how loud it was. And she'd be like, you know, when she would come out always in anger, she would be like, you are so loud. I am sick of hearing about this. Um, and in the beginning of this happening, I would be like, I don't hear anything. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like all night long, up and down and up and down and up and down. And, you know, I'm trying to sleep. And Amber would be like, the stairs literally go above my room. I hear nothing. Like it if does it's, sound a lot like a, a lot of different demonic cases where it's trying to break everybody down, turn everyone against each other. And um, that that's one of the things that are pretty common. Yeah. And so I'm not sleeping well because I literally am, you know, dealing with a night hag situation. Rebecca is not sleeping well because of the the running on the stairs um, that no one else can hear. So, you know, she's becoming more and more livid. Um, and as that's all happening, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'll, uh, you know, uh, an interesting, you know, one night I was doing my nightly routine um, and I was in the bathroom and I just got this feeling like I'm not alone, that feeling I'd had before, but um, I felt something step up on me, like press itself into me. And when it did it, it was cold, but I could feel it was the body of a woman pressed against me. And, um, you know, as this thing pressed against me, I remember the way the bathroom was, my finger was like literally reaching for the light switch when it happened. So I was like frozen and I'm standing there going, there's something standing behind me. And the mirror was right over my shoulder. So I like really slowly turned my head and I could see my own part of my own back and there was nobody there. And I went, holy shit, it's, it's it. So, um, I ran and as I ran, I could hear it running behind me and I ran to go up the stairs and, you know, I go into a lot of detail in this in the podcast, but it grabbed me. Um, and the thing that always clicked with me was the running on the stairs and then getting attacked on the stairs. You know, there was something to this, activity, which unfortunately became a routine in my life. I never knew when it would happen. It was random. It's happened more than once. Um, it could happen once every other week. It could happen once a month. It could happen twice in a week. It was like any time I finally was like, I think tonight I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I think tonight I'm going to be okay. Um, and I wouldn't be thinking about it. 
it would just be game on. And it started to become a battle. Like if I could take the stairs two at a time, I could feel its fingers grab me and I could feel my leg pull out of its hands. So I would have to try to run faster and faster. Um, I mean, you could have just put a ladder outside to your bedroom window. <laughs> just went up that way and just climbed <laughs> up that, that way. <laughs> Ricardo oh asked gosh. if uh, any of the ladies were dating while living there. And I believe your now husband, or he basically was living there for a little while, right? Yes. Well, he basically like, he was, he like, so we were together, we've been friends for forever. And then when we were there, he ended up staying with us all the time because he lived in a really crummy studio apartment and he, it like was the most dirtiest. Yeah. yeah, He had to take a ladder from outside up to his bedroom. It was the, it was the dirtiest apartment ever. Um, And he stayed with me all the time. And when stuff started picking up and he remembers looking back and just thinking like, I would be like, I need an escort to go to the bathroom. I need you to walk me to the kitchen for a snack. I need you to hold my hand. And he would just be like, okay, hun. Like, you know, and there'd be times where I would be like, I need you to get up. Like he'd be sleeping or something. I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. I need you to take me. And he'd be like, this is ridiculous. Go. And I'd be like, I'll pee the bed. I will literally pee on you. Like you either can take me or I'm pissing the bed. And he'd be like, okay, okay. I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. And, um, you know, he really was great in terms of like supporting me. But what's funny with the peace story, you know, when things activity really took off and he ended up having quite a few experiences, you'll hear about them in the show um, and the podcast, but things got so bad when people are like, well, how bad was it? Here's a great example. It got to a point that neither one of us could go to the bathroom anymore because it was down there and we knew it and you could feel it. And so what we would do is he would just pee out my bedroom window and I would, <laughs> I would no joke, pee in a cup and throw it. Like I'm living in like the 1800s. This is a great bond. I'm assuming this is probably why you got married. This is a great bonding experience. <laughs> great bonding experience. And I would literally pee in a cup and throw it. It was like a giant, sorry, Taco Bell was, Taco Bell was a giant Taco Bell cup. And I'd pee in it and throw it out the window. Like I'm living with like an ancient chamber pot or something yeah. because we were no, both. That's good advertisement for Taco Bell. They could just use that great. as a slogan. Good enough to pee in. Good enough to pee in. Who needs Mountain Dew? Um, but literally, pee, like you're a Baja Blast. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, and so Baja that's Blast how. out the window. <laughs> no, that's great. But um, yeah, when I look back, like that's not something I put in my podcast. But like that's to a level level of like when you know it's so bad that you don't know what else to do. Um, when two, you know, and he's a guy's guy. He's a tough dude. Like. And he was literally, yeah, peeing a cup, throw it out the window. We ain't going down there. I'm like, great. I mean, cool. that studio apartment must have been real bad because if we're not, if we're not vacating <laughs> the premises to go there. Like... Well, well, you know what's crazy? So there would be nights. Um, there would be nights when the paranormal activity was so bad that we would all go to his apartment. Um, I can tell one story that it's not my podcast for your listeners, but. Eventually, Amber ended up realizing the non-believer is now one of the biggest believers of all. The house changed her forever. She ended up having an incident. And um, when that happened, um, I remember at the time, the internet then isn't what it is now. And I had been trying to find information about what to do. I had reached out to priests and ghost groups and and nobody would get back to me. Like I heard nothing. And um, 
I didn't know what to do. So this is a really bad idea. But I thought, well, maybe we'll just like glean some information. Let's watch the original Amityville horror movie, which I at the time I had never seen. So we rented it. And the three of us were sitting on the couch. Um, and again, so much happened in this house. I couldn't put it all on the podcast. There's too much. But we were sitting on the couch. This is so bizarre. And we're watching the movie. And I just remember like getting a little uncomfortable, like watching the movie, trying to be like, what do these people do? Like, what do you do in a haunting? Okay. And um, Amber out of nowhere, she's sitting next to me. She starts going, I, I don't think we should be watching this. I don't feel right. And Adam's kind of going, I guys, I don't think we should watch it in this house. I don't think we should be watching this. And um, I'm like, we have to figure out what to do. I don't know what else to do. No one's helping. Like we're watching the damn movie guys. And all of a sudden, like, we're like, what is that? And on the back porch that like literally led into like the dining room kitchen area, it had a big sliding glass window and this green glowing light started illuminating. Um, Almost like if you've ever seen the Great Gatsby movie or something, like this green light started glowing. And so we're all like, dude, do you see that? Like, what? what is that? And the movie's amping up and this light's getting stronger. And slowly, and this is like this mist, it looked like a fog, started rolling up the back stairs. And what was weird is when it hit the, the back window of the house, it hit it like it would in like a movie. It like hit it like evil, you know, evil dead style. It like hit it. And then it just like rolled up the glass and then started massing together into something. And Amber's like, that's it. Movie off and hopped up and she ejected it. And we said, get in Amber er, Adam's car. Now something's coming. And we ran. And on those nights we would drive to Adam's studio apartment and we'd sleep in this slum of an apartment. Um, and I remember when we came back the next day, I was like, if there's a logical explanation, it's got to be one of those weird light bulbs that people put on their porch for like Christmas or something. And we just never noticed it before or something. So like, we've got to find the lights. And we just walked around from neighbor's porch to neighbor's porch to neighbor's porch, looking, looking, and there was nothing. So there were plenty of nights where activity was so bad in the house that we would have to leave like you and if you activity got so bad you were we made a rule you were not allowed in the house alone especially after dark so if you know somebody got done with classes if, even if you sat there for hours you would just wait in your car you just could not go in the house alone so it got to a point where everyone including your boyfriend now husband they were all experiencing i remember you told one story where your boyfriend had to run out of the house because he was just terrified to be there alone yeah i do want to I, I just want to give you a chance to give any more bullet points. We're running super long here, so we do have to wrap okay. it up soon, but I, I haven't gotten to the end of the podcast. I powered through five episodes from today and yesterday. So I got, I got the beginning of the story down. So don't spoil it for me, but is there anything that our <laughs> listeners and our viewers should, should know about your podcast that, uh, that you want to give that message out? Yeah. So, you know, if you check it out, the chilling podcast, it's a 13 part um, story um, detailing all the events that happened in this house, not just to me, but I will say uh, others as well. After a lot of digging, um, in my opinion, it is the most haunted house in the country, if not the world. And it's a place that should be studied. Um, but there's no stories quite as terrifying as as I would say mine. So, you know, check it out and hit me up because a lot goes down. And that's just a, a small sample of what we experienced in the house. That's yeah, great. It's, it's the a, podcast was, was great. I really enjoyed it. She, she has a whole bunch of different 
experts that come on and talk about, I learned so much just from listening to these experts that talk about everything that was going on. So it was a really interesting format, kind of like a documentary mixed with a horror movie. And it was a really cool contrast and it was very interesting. I powered through, I actually listened to it twice once and then I had to re-listen to it so I could put this episode together, but uh, it was well, great. It was you. really good. Well, so I appreciate definitely check that, that out. Yeah. And a big part of that, you know, last thing I'll say is that, so I, my brother-in-law at the time and other people I know um, are skeptics and don't believe. So when I made this, I didn't just want to make this from a biased opinion of, I think I know what happened. I really wanted to know what happened. I wanted to know what's in that house. I wanted to know if we were alone in our haunting, were there other people, other tenants? Um, so I really wanted to try to get to the bottom of it. And if I was crazy and it, and it was just me, then I wanted to know, but we'll say in the end that my, my, friends and people I know that were non-believers are certainly believers after listening to the podcast. Nothing better than converting a skeptic. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. It's funny how that happens when you bring them to a real haunted place. We've uh, <laughs> had our fair share of that as well. Um, I want to read, a, and it kind of ties into your story a little bit about what happened to Amir, but one of the people in our chat, Matthew Thomas, he went to Ohio State Reformatory this past week. And he had a bit of an experience. I'm just going to read what happened to him real quick. He wrote, this past Friday, my wife, 13-year-old son, and I went on a guided ghost walk at the Ohio State Reformatory, um, a, historic a historic prison in Mansfield, Ohio. It was built between 1886 and 1910 and remained in operation until 1990. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption movie was also filmed here. Over the years, there have been many documented sightings and EVP captures of voices, so I was excited to get the opportunity to go on this ghost walk. It was pretty cool. There were 17 of us on the walk, plus the guide and two people they called pushers, people to push the group along. We need pushers uh, for us sometimes when we're doing these ghost investigations. Yeah. <laughs> Walking through the facility, I never really... Not, um, not for the ghost investigation, but just to assault people <laughs> while it's going on. It keeps everything <laughs> spicy. Exactly. Walking through the facility, I never really got any strange or unusual feelings, even as the guy told the stories of some of the horrific things. One of the rooms they called the chair room is what you would think a big room with nothing but a chair in the middle. The guy told us about how they did an EVP session there once, and one of the guys in the group sat in the chair and then complained that his back was hot. When he lifted his shirt, his back was red and scratch marks were on his back. Um, and the guy had actually had a photo of it. So naturally, I said, what would the hometown ghost, stories hometown ghost stories boys do? And I had to sit in the seat when they turned the lights off and did about a six-minute EVP session. Sadly, nothing happened there. So we went to several locations that they had said had a lot of activity, but nothing until we got to what they called the attic. The attic is about the length of a football field. And when we went in, we went all the way to the back where they had chairs that we could sit in. And we got to hear more about the history and what happened in this particular area. They turned the lights out and it was pitch black and then started the EVP session. Approximately one to two minutes after the lights were turned off, a light appeared about 30 yards down and on the left side, some more lights appeared to me it looked like a shimmering white light my son swears it had a green tint to it it stayed there for a good four or five minutes as the guide and folks in our group asked questions then one of the group's guys asked if it would like to come closer and it bolted towards us to about 10 yards from us and then disappeared wow. we didn't capture anything on evp and i tried to debunk it as maybe a reflection on someone using a flashlight but really there was no explaining it it was an experience that we'll never forget. We finished the tour, went through the jail cells in, sol in solitary, but nothing else happened. Um, such a cool place. If you ever get out to Ohio, you must go to this place. So 
fun little experience at Ohio State. Uh, that's awesome. And relevance. We're talking about Ohio. Yeah, that's yeah. why we pulled that one. So that's a that's a great place, by the way. Lane, of course, has been there, and they used to do haunted houses there too. Growing up in Ohio, it's a cool spot. So definitely check it out, people. I yeah, I was there just for the because uh, that's where they filmed Shawshank, which mm-hmm. is an awesome movie. Yeah, I got to I got to stand outside the gates of it. I was there on a work trip, but I wasn't able to book a tour to go through it. Um, big regrets, but it, it is it's a sight just the same. Just seeing it outside the gates, it is definitely a sight. So there is something you like about Ohio. Look at that. Uh, I mean, Look how we've all come around now. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to be honest, Ohio is still the worst state in America. <laughs> To be perfectly clear, I'm, I'm sorry. Pretty, I'm pretty sure North Dakota doesn't even exist. So, well, Ohio is a, is a whole thing. I haven't even <laughs> I haven't had a grace North Dakota yet, but Ohio is ugh. thumbs down yes. to Ohio. Yeah, well, yeah. that's why I live in Austin, Texas now. Sorry, Ohio there, peeps. There you go. See, she knew she had to she had to escape there. Very good. Um, uh, Lindsay, thank you for coming on. That uh, It's such a crazy story. I'm excited to finish it. And for those of you who want to listen to the podcast, you can search it on Apple Podcasts. It is called The Chilling. And it is also in our show notes. So if you click on those, you can find it there. That was season one of Zisco's story. What's your, I don't mean to put you on the spot, what's your game plan for season two? Yeah, so season two is just going to be interviews with people with weird stories. Um, Some are my friends and family. Some are people from like the paranormal community. Um, You know, some are listeners, but gathering just some great stories. When you're the person who has the spookiest story anyone's ever heard, everyone comes to you with their story. So I wanted to share some of those. And um, that's my goal for season two and, and the future. And I'd love to do another one like season one again. That just takes time and I'd have to find the right story. Um, but yeah, you just you know, have to experience a horrifying haunting again. Again, I just have yeah. to find somewhere else. My dream goal would be to, as crazy as it sounds, is to go back to the house and stay there um, and investigate because I know the evidence we would get um, with a team but you know that's kind of kooky to do but well you can also do the do your stories on the college because those were really creepy so that's (laughs) that's an idea yeah must be nice to have a season we're just in an endless loop of episodes that we're never gonna get out (laughs) (laughs) jesus anyways uh thank you again Lindsay. again you guys follow her the the show is in the uh, the link to the show is in the show notes and our instagram as well so uh thank you for coming on we appreciate it and we will uh have to be in touch see what you got in store for next season awesome thanks guys big d big d (laughs) big d's all around we don't know what that's like but yeah (laughs) bye guys appreciate it uh let's take a second to thank our patrons real quick for our vips we have allison v genie r justin t also justin t we have lisa j mallory k mike oubliette blake Mom and Pops Wilkins. Yeah, but we have Robert H., Stephen V., Irish Assassin Gaming, and always the one and only Demon King. We also have Amby R., Anna C., Donnie N., even better hometown ghost stories, Garrett, Lily, IDJF, Batch, Jake V., Janice G., Mar Fire, Matthew T., Papa Squatch, Rachel B., Sarah Cook, Stephanie A., Sydney B., Al Capone, Anthony T., Ashley M., Brandon W., Brennan B., Captain McSlugs, Cody G., Eric S., Huggy Bear, Joe R, Kira Lee J, Mark M, Mariah M, Paul from St. Louis, Sarah R, Solar Flare, Soph M, and Hooper. And we just got a $10 donation from the one and only Matthew T with an O-H-I-O hashtag Big D in the chat. 
thank you so much to everybody on Patreon. Thank you to Matthew T for that ten dollar donation. You're a legend. I believe we also got a one dollar donation before the stream even from started. Mar. Yep. From Mar. So thank you so much, Mar, for that donation as well. You guys are awesome. And thanks for sticking around. This was a bit of a long one, but we definitely wanted to get through as much as we could. Again, the chilling podcast, go check it out. That has Lindsay's full story on there. I would assume, like I said, I've only gone through five episodes, but so far I can appreciate this. The audio quality is fantastic. And that's step one for me when I actually want to listen to a podcast. So it's well-produced and uh, the experts that she has on will teach you a whole lot. Anything else, gentlemen? Drop her a five-star review and tell her you came from us. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Specifically me from Hometown Ghost Stories. Yeah. Dave did nothing. Yeah, did nothing. (laughs) No part of this episode, basically. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We will catch you uh, on Friday. If you want to stay up to date, we're going to cover... I forget. I see you on Netflix. Yes. Yes. If you want to watch that before Friday when we drop the horror movie review, check that out. Anyways, that'll do it. Thank you for hanging out. We'll see you next week.